Hi, I'm Justin. Uh, as he just said, I uh, I get to be your speaker uh, today, around tonight and and tomorrow. And I'll see a few of you a few times. Um, so this is one of the things I do. Uh, is I I do this. I hold a microphone. And I talk. Um, I'm also a dad. Um, I have two kids. Um, I'll show you pictures of my kids because that's how speakers do it. Um, if you go to the first picture here. That's not those. That that's my that's my uh, youngest. Uh, her name is Caitlin Quinn River McRoberts. But I just call her the bird. Um, so that is the bird, and behind her is her older brother, uh, who's my son. And that's how that works biologically. Um, if you have questions about that, um, ask one of the teachers here. That's my son. Uh, his name is Asa Jonathan McRoberts. They're both goofy, um, and you'll learn why <laughs> as you get to know me. Um, and I love them. I'm their dad, and I get to be their dad. So that's another thing I do. And both those things, are they're kind of expressions to some degree of who I am, but deeper than being a speaker, and even deeper than being a dad, uh, who I am is that I am a child of God. Say child of God. That's who I actually am. Identity is a thing I get to receive. Someone say amen. It's not something I build for myself. Um, I'm a child of God. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about while I'm here, and if you go to the next frame, it's going to help me. Um, the next slide is I, I'm a child of God, and, and I can know that in my head, but it's, it's never enough. It's just not enough to know it in my head. I don't want to have it in my head. I want that to actually be fully true about my life, which means I have to participate in that. Someone say amen. So I'm a child of God. I live that out as a disciple of Jesus. Part of what we understand from the scriptures, part of what I come to recognize as I read the gospels is yes, God sent Christ to earth that we might be reconciled to the father through the cross. That is hundred percent true. God reconciled us, rescued us from sin and in the process God gave us an example in Jesus of what it looks like to live out being children of God, which leads to this question. It's a question I'm going to hang out on for the next. How did and how does Jesus live? Now, y'all have it kind of pinned already because he lived in the desert. Bless your hearts for being here. Um, that's easy. I don't live in the desert, so I've got miles to go to get there. How did and how does Jesus live can seem like, well, at least for me, like a complicated question. I really like simplicity. Anybody with me? I don't like complication. I like things being a little bit more simple. I like my relationships being simple. And what I recognize about at least my history in trying to be and wanting to be a disciple of Jesus is I tend to complicate matters. I try to make things more difficult, more complicated than they actually are. And a good friend and mentor of mine said, you know, really, when it, break, when it comes down to it, Jesus lived a little bit like a triangle. And so if you go to this next image, this is, this is what he meant by that, is, is if, as, as I pay attention to the life of Jesus, there are these really core principle elements of his life. Up, in and out, up. He had a relationship with the Father regularly. And we're gonna talk about that today, right now, in a second. He also had some really specific, oh, go back to the one. He also had some really specific and particular relationships. He was surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but there was this particular group of people that he actually chose and spent most of his time with. And that's what we're gonna call in. We're gonna talk about community. And we know most of what we know about Jesus because of the way he poured himself out. He had a mission. He was about stuff in the world. This to me simplifies matters. If I wanna live like Jesus, I, I wanna have a relationship with the Father. Someone say amen. And I wanna have, and we're gonna talk about this a lot, 
I want to have some really good friends. Anybody with me? Like, I want to have some actual friends. I don't want to have a bunch of acquaintances. I don't want to just have some people I like, like see or scroll by on my phone. I want to have some friends, friends. And I want to be about something. That's the shape of Jesus. And that's how I want to live my life because I want to live like Christ. So we're going to talk about up. When Jesus talked about up, you can go to the next slide. When Jesus talked about up, um, it, it came up oftentimes when people would ask him like why he did what he did. You can see many examples in the gospels of Jesus leaving for a while. He would disappear. He'd go away overnight, kind of separate himself from the crowd and go spend the whole night praying. That's intimidating to me. But then when people asked him, this is the part that I want to start off on. When people asked him like, what, what is it that makes you tick? Why do you do what you do? Jesus would talk about prayer. So if you go to the scripture here, it should be the next frame, it should be uh, scripture. So, because Jesus was doing these things. So Jesus is out and he, at the time he was, he had healed someone and he was teaching, but it was the Sabbath day. And so the religious cats around him kind of freaked out, which happened all the time. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Come on now. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now watch this. Then Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. I love this. When folks are asking him about like, why do you heal people? This is what he's saying. This is a little scandalous. What he wasn't saying is like, I heal people because they are sick and they need healing. Okay. Oh, someone's on a, can you hear that? Okay. Is that the Russians? Can someone take care of that? Cause I, I'm, I'm busy. It's not my time to watch the Russians. Um, I, it's, to me, it's confounding and scandalous that when Jesus talks about what he does, and he does some really profound and important and beautiful things. He heals people. He teaches. He's like breaking social boundaries down so people can experience love and community. And what he says is, I'm not doing any of these things just because you need them. Everything I do, I do because I see the Father doing it, which is to say that the heartbeat and the root of Jesus's life and motivation was prayer. That was the heartbeat of it. So when I say prayer, we're gonna have a little conversation here. When I say the word prayer, what do you think? What pops in your mind? I'm actually looking for some answers. Some hands up, I'm gonna point at you. What do you think of? Right there, what's your name? Your name is Talking with Bryson? <laughs> Bryson, you said talking with, like talking with God. Okay, good, that's good, let's start there. So talking with God, who else? When you think about prayer, what do you think about? Anybody, hands up. We're gonna do at least five, so let's go. Way in the back, what's your name? Allison? Sitting with him. So you got talking with God, sitting with God, okay. What else? Right here, right by there and then there and then there. What's your name? John. John. Apparently John, it's nice to meet you. Uh, John, uh, what do you think about when you think about prayer? Praising your father. Say, wait a minute. Oh, see, I, oh Remind me not to hand you the mic. Um, and what was your name? Abby. Abby. 
Yeah, give me half for Abby. If we're gonna do it, do it. What do you think about when you think about prayer? Just being with God. Fantastic. Any other, you, you got some more popping up? Anything that hasn't been said yet? We're gonna come back to this. By the way, I'm gonna do this a bit. Like we'll like have some conversations. So get used to that a little bit. I don't like doing this stuff by myself. I could be in here all alone and it would be different. Um, when I type in the word prayer, so it's important for us to have conversations and we're gonna have a lot of conversations about these things, about we're talking about prayer and friendship and community and mission. When I, when I Google the word prayer, these are the images that pop up. So if you ask the Google, if you ask the Google, hey Google, what do you think of when I type in the word prayer? I get all of these images. Now this is like a, a sampling of the top 20 images of prayer. And I learned some things about my own prayer life by paying attention to the images I get from Google. Very specifically, I have been praying at the wrong time of day. <laughs> it is very clearly a sunset or sunrise activity. I've been praying in the middle of the afternoon. Woe is me. Woulda, coulda, shoulda known that it's an afternoon thing. Also, like there's a specific posture I'm supposed to be in. I didn't know that. I mean, the sitting down thing. Apparently you can pray hard enough that you can just hold the sun in your lap. That's amazing. Also, I mean, this dude's got a Bible with the Shekinah glory of God attached to it. Like it's in the, like my Bible came from like, I bought it on Amazon. It's just some paper. I didn't know you could get. I'm mostly joking. Um, but here, I think you'll go with me on this. As much as I'm playing around, and I am, I'm joking. As much as I'm cracking wise about this. Still, something in the back of my mind tells me kind of repeatedly that if my prayer life, go with me here, if my prayer life doesn't feel like that looks, something is askew. If my prayer life doesn't feel warm, doesn't feel glowy, if my prayer life doesn't feel a little bit like these images, inspired, passionate, beautiful, if my prayer life doesn't feel like that, something in the back of my mind says there must be something wrong with me or with my prayer life or how I'm praying. Anyone with me? Anyone experience that a little bit of that? Now, here's what I don't wanna say. I don't wanna say that having an experience is a bad thing. So maybe if you were down here, like I'm standing off to the side, I love music, I love praying in song. And clap if you like that, clap if you're someone who like, come on now. Like I will jam out, I'm in the car, I, like it's in my ears, it's like, it's like what I work out to. I'm that cat in the gym where people, I'm like, Holy Spirit come. People are like, dang, that guy. But like, I love praying in song and I, and I will have like an experience at times. But here's what, I, here's what I don't want. I'm okay having an experience. I don't want to chase an experience of Jesus. I wanna chase Jesus regardless of the experience. I'm gonna say that again. I don't want to simply have an experience of Jesus. I want Jesus regardless of the experience. The experience is fine. It's just not the thing I want to chase. I'm 50 years old. I've done quite a bit of therapy in my life. And one of the things a good therapist will do for me is when I'm talking about someone else, they won't let me just talk about that someone else as if everything I have to say about them is real. Y'all with me? And what they'll ask me instead is talk, they'll ask me to talk about my experience of that person. That's fine. But I don't want to live at that kind of arm's length with the one who holds my life together. I want to know him intimately. And sometimes, and y'all know this, and we'll talk about this when we get into friendship and community, sometimes our experience of someone is a little bit disappointing. Someone say amen. 
That doesn't mean you don't have a relationship. In fact, being disillusioned, being frustrated, being in an argument, not understanding, all these things are part of being in a relationship. And so all of those things will be part of having a relationship with Jesus. Someone with me? Being frustrated is part of having a relationship with Jesus. That's part of your prayer life. Not quite understanding what's up. Maybe being a little angry is part of your prayer life. It's part of having a relationship with Jesus. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of the experience. If you go to the next slide here, um, early in life, I didn't grow up a Christian. My mom um, grew up uh, doing church stuff. Oh, are we being invaded again? Um, it's the, someone's gonna cut through that wall. <laughs> um, my mom grew up doing church stuff and she kind of had like artifacts of her early faith laying around the house when I was a kid. And I only know this, this story about my early prayer life because my mom tells me. So apparently when I was six, I walked, <laughs> I walked into my, my mom's room and uh, she had this, this, no, not yet. I had, she had this porcelain statue of Jesus. It looked just like this, like on her bedside. And I stole it. Like I took it. She didn't know where it was for weeks. She had no idea. Like, her, like Jesus just disappeared off her nightstand. Cause I walked in, I was like, mm -hmm. and I took, I stole, I stole Jesus from my mom. Um, and what she says is she remembers, she remembers like missing this thing. And then, and then at one point uh, at night, she walks by my room. I'm like six or so at the time, which is like roughly my daughter's age, like five or six. She says she comes in the room and I'm, and I'm kneeling by the bed like this. And I've got this porcelain statue of Jesus like sitting up on the bed like this. And I got my hands folded like in the pictures like this. I'm five, I'm six. I've never been to church. We don't go to church. Just like this is how you pray, right? So I get on my knees and I got my hands folded and I got this porcelain statue of Jesus right here. But like, because it's on my bed, my bed's like lumpy. It kept falling over. So I would, like I had this statue and then I would fold my hands and I would close my eyes because you're supposed to close your eyes when you pray. So I'd close my eyes and, pray, and I would lean against the bed and then I would pick him back up and I would set it up and then I would start to, and then I would pick him up and, and I'd lean to the wall. And that was like, she says, that's it. Like I kept watching you do that. And I never got around, watch me now. I never got around to the business of actually praying because I was trying to get set up right. Come on now. I never got around to the business of actually praying because I was trying to get myself set up right. Anybody with me? I get so caught up in how I'm gonna get the thing done that I miss getting it done. Now, listen, watch. I'm not saying that how you pray doesn't matter. I think it does. That doesn't mean you're gonna do it wrong. Deeper than how you do it, deeper than the mechanics of how you pray is the essence of prayer. And here's the essence of prayer. We're gonna come back to this three or four times. The essence of prayer, oh, oh, you can hang out there. That's fine, leave that right there. Um, the essence of prayer is this. Jesus Christ loves you and wants a relationship with you. That's the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is the love of God in Christ, period. That's it. Everything else is a matter of mechanics. Now, here's the thing we do, and that's just, it's not just me, it's, it's us. It's a thing we do culturally and interpersonally is we tend to confuse and conflate the essence of things with the mechanics of things and we get in all kinds of trouble. We confuse the essence of romance and relationship with the mechanics of romance and relationship and we make a mess of our relationship. Someone say amen. 
We confuse the essence of justice with the mechanics of how we get justice done and we make a mess of our culture. Now, I don't want to do an important thing poorly. Prayer is really, really important. But I'm not going to get it wrong because prayer is not like math. Someone say hallelujah. Prayer is not like math. I was an English major and a philosophy minor. Don't do numbers. Prayer is more like swimming. Lots and lots of ways to swim. There's the backstroke and the front stroke and the other strokes or whatever. But here's the deal. If you're in the water and you are not drowning, you're swimming. If you're in the water and you're not drowning, you're swimming. Can you get better at it? Can you improve and grow? But does it make you more of a swimmer than the dude who's just getting started? No. If you're in the water, you're a swimmer. If you point your attention towards Jesus Christ, you are in prayer. Um, you go to the next frame here. Um, Halloween 2014, my son, the name is Asa Jonathan McRoberts. He comes to me and says, Dad, I'm, I, I want to do Halloween this year. I said, all right, buddy. Um, sounds cool. I love Halloween. I've got like 15 costumes in my attic at all times. I'm like, what do you think about being? He was like, Dad, I want to be a superhero. I said, oh, wow. You think about being Batman? He's like, no, I'm not going to be Batman. And the guy gets suspicious because Batman is the superhero for me. I said, you don't want to be Batman? He goes, I'm thinking about like the Flash. He's like, no, I don't want to be the Flash. So I was like, are you thinking about something in the DC or Marvel universe? He goes, he's like, well, I'm not sure. I said, son, listen to me. Look me right in the eye. I said, dude, you are not allowed to be Superman or you cannot live in this house. It's a, we can talk about it later. It's just, he's a cheap hero. So, <laughs> preach. Someone, that's the first note she took all day. He's like, dad, I want to be super Asa. Oh, because his name is Asa. He's want to be Super Asa. I said, Super Asa, what is, t- tell me about that. He goes, well, I'll show you. So he goes in his room and he gets himself all dressed up. And he has like a cape, which I didn't know he had. <laughs> it was like, he's like four, they come with capes. I had no idea. Comes walking out in his little outfit. I was like, dude, this looks fantastic. So the day Halloween comes and we leave kind of early because he's young and we're going out and, uh, and he sees the big kids. And he's like, dad, can I go with the big kids? And we know some of the kids in the neighborhood. I was like, yeah, sure, you can go with the big kids. So he takes off, runs around the corners, little Crocs. And like five minutes later, comes walking back around the corner like this. I was like, buddy, what happened? He said, um, one of the big kids told me I can't be Super Asa. He said, he said, I have to pick a real superhero. And now I'm in a dilemma, y'all. Like, how do I navigate this moment without injuring someone else's child? <clears throat> and something like wisdom got a hold of my heart, and I knelt down, which was hard because I was wearing this, if you go to the picture. Um... I said, hey, buddy. I said, hey, pal, look at me. He said, what? I said, um, I think you look great. He goes, yeah? I said, yeah, dude. Like, the Flash costume that that kid was wearing? He goes, yeah. I said, it's pretty cool. He goes, yeah, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But you know what? Like, you invented your own superhero. <laughs> and then you designed your own costume. 
I think you look great. He went, really? I said, yeah. You want to go get some candy? Yeah. You want to get more candy than all those stinking big kids combined? He went, yeah. And that's how we exacted our vengeance. And while vengeance isn't the point to the story, it plays an element. So it is with your father and me. I can't imagine that when I come to the table, the father is all confounded and frustrated about how I'm coming to the table. I think he's just really excited I'm there. My prayer life, if I'm honest with you and I'm gonna be, my prayer life, my spiritual life in general looks a lot like my son's Halloween costume. I'm kind of cobbling it together as best I can with what I got laying around. Anyone with me? I do not very often feel like I know what I'm doing. Ask the adults in the room who've been working at prayer for 20, 30 years, do you feel like you've got it pinned? And if they are honest with you, they will tell you no. And if they say they've got it pinned, they're lying. It's not about getting it pinned. And I can't see the Lord God Almighty up in heaven be like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of those syllables. What was that you said? I can't, that's not happening. When you show up, the father's heart explodes in joy. And here's why. Because he loves you. The world is full of daughters and sons who do not talk to their parents and do not talk to God. What joy there is in the heart of the father when you show up at all. Use whatever words you want to when you show up. Just show up. Go to the next frame. The following year, he decided to be the flash. My wife's not even a Packers fan. She just threw it out together. And I wore the same duct tape outfit I'd been wearing for 20 years. It smells horrid. Sometimes my own words, whether I've invented them or not, just don't work. Anyone with me? Sometimes I don't have great words for what's going on in my life. I don't know how to talk about it. And in those moments, someone else's words are real helpful. That's why we like some of the songs we like, because in those songs, there's that lyric, right? You ever been there? Where there's this song that's like, that's your jam for a little while. This song is saying, for me, what I cannot say for myself. There is no shame in the game of saying, I don't have words for this moment. Can someone else lend me some words? My son borrowed on someone else's tradition, borrowed on someone else's costume, and sometimes prayer looks like this. Last frame before we move on towards the end. And sometimes, words just don't work at all. And some of y'all, like me, have been in some places where regardless of whether it's my words or someone else's words, words, period, just aren't cutting it. Two pieces here. The one uh, on your right is a Rembrandt piece called The Prodigal Son, Return of the Prodigal Son. On the left, on your left, is a piece by uh, a buddy of mine named Dylan Mortimer. Rembrandt po uh, painted this piece. One of my favorite books is about a guy named Henry Nouwen who he... He was in a really rough part of his life, super intelligent person, came to a part in his life where like as an author and a number, he's just stuck. And he went to the place where this painting hung and he sat in front of this painting for like hours and hours, day after day, until that painting started to unpack stuff in him. And you've been there where like a TV show or an image gets inside your soul in a way that words can't. Y'all with me? Similar story, my buddy Dylan, um, grew up with what's called, uh, with, with a disease um, that was gonna limit his life. Um, that he found out that he had when he was eight. And uh, because he has this disease, his life expectancy was about 33 years old. 
when he turned 29, it started to really sink in for him that like he was coming to the end of his life. I just want you to put that in your head for a second. To have been told by doctors, like you're gonna live till about this long and, and at this point he's 29, so he's got like four years. I, I wouldn't have words for that. You know, anyone with me? Like I, I don't have words for that. So what he started to do is he started to make these art pieces, including this piece here. Now what's rare about this piece is that he actually kept it because this is how he started praying. He would show up in his art studio at night and he would make a piece like he would spend most of the night, he would make this piece and then he would light it on fire. And he would just say to God, I am so mad at you. And he said, I did that for months. And then eventually I started to feel like he was in the room with me. Because when you show up and you don't have words and all you got is just some anger and some frustration, he's sitting right there with you and saying, man, I hate this for you too. I don't like what you went through either and I'll meet you in it. I'm not gonna try to explain it for you because I know it hurts. I will meet you in it. You show up with your own words. You show up with someone else's words. You show up with no words at all. The Father meets you because he simply loves you and wants you to show up. So, next frame here. Um, I think, uh, I agree with this. James Warren says, the right way to pray is whatever works for you. What's, where, where, how do you wanna show up to be met by the Father, and the Father will meet you there. Next frame. Next frame. Um, prayer is not a tool by which we forge a connection with Jesus. Someone say amen. That connection has been forged by the cross. It's been established. Prayer is a practice by which we get to participate in the work of Christ in our lives. Here's what I mean by practice. Um, a bunch of years ago, an author named David Brooks wrote an article about baseball. He was at a Dodgers game. We can forgive him for this, but he was at a Dodgers game and he was watching a guy play at the time third base for the Giants, or for, the, for the Dodgers. This guy's name was Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent was at the time, and still, I mean, one of the world's best infielders. He's watching Jeff Kent, 38 years old, out running drills before the game. He's out at third base, ready position. Coach hits the ball until it's third. He steps over. Knee on the ground, hop step, point step throw, over to first base, and then back to rated position. Over and over again. And it strikes Brooks, this guy's been playing baseball since he was six, and he's, and he's still running drills before the game. Like, why does a professional athlete run drills? Well, here's what he says. He says, because the ball in a baseball game is coming off the bat at like 85 to 120 miles an hour, unless you play for the Oakland Athletics, and then it's like 15 to 20 miles an hour. It's a dribbler. It usually goes foul. And if you're out at third base and the ball's coming at you at 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to make a decision about how you're going to respond. You have to be practiced at it. Prayer is a practice by which we, we participate in this relationship with Christ because on most days, you and I won't have all the time a felt need for the grace of Jesus. And then there's that day that shows up when you need to know you can trust him. Someone say amen. And on that day, when I have that deep need and I'm shocked or I'm frustrated or I'm hurt, I don't want to be trying to figure out if I trust and believe him. I want to be practiced at it so I can turn to him and say, take care of me, I'm not okay. Prayer is a practice. Um, last bit here, and then we'll wrap things up. I think this is ultimately the essence of prayer. There's a lot written about prayer and there's a lot about prayer in the text. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I don't just love what's said here, I love the context because this is before Jesus has healed anyone. This is before Jesus has announced that he's the Messiah. This is before Jesus has gathered the disciples, is before he's taught anything. Before he has accomplished anything, the voice of the Father bursts through the clouds and says, I love you, you're mine, and I'm proud of you. That is the essence of prayer. Everything on the other side of that is negotiable. Everything on the other side of that is mechanics. And those mechanics are worked out in the context of the love of Christ, which is to say this, the essence of prayer is the love of God in Christ and not your ability to pray. That feels like an okay ending, um, but it's just okay. It's not a great ending. I don't feel great about that. I wish, you know what I wish actually? I wish that there was, I kind of wish that there was like a like some 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 way because we earlier like we prayed in music and we talked about praying in words. We talked about like self expression and then we talked about kind of like format. I wish there was a way like an art form that combined things like like music and self expression and and and, and like leaning to someone else's form. If and if only there was an art form. And it turns out actually that there is, um, and we call it karaoke. So if you'll stand to your feet, uh, we're going to rock the rest of this night out. Will you turn that? And uh, if you'll come up to your feet, we're going to do a little music together. Um, hit it, DJ, in the back. I'm going to look for some assistance. We need some volume. Wow. Now, I hope, I hope you are thinking to yourself, what happened just now? Here's what's up for me. Yo, nobody shows up to karaoke to get the song right. Someone say amen. No one shows up to karaoke to get the notes right. You are not Frank Sinatra. You show up to karaoke. You show up to karaoke with people you like. You show up to karaoke for the joy of it. And what I want us to do is when it comes to the practice of prayer, I want you to show up with that joy and here's why. Because every single time you show up, regardless of how, every single time you show up, the Father is absolutely overjoyed because he loves you with the depths of his being. And may nothing stand in the way of you turning to him and saying, I need some time with you right now. I don't know what to say. I don't want to do, but I know I need to be with you. May nothing stand in your way, including your mechanics. Someone say amen. Thank you for your time.